Ήχερα δεν αυτό γεφθάμενον της αρκός αυτού και τούτο προλαβών της Αγίας ευχόης ο άρτης της είναι επικράτης είναι αντίστασικά επικράτης Listening to Vexed, a program on the Ephesus School Network. I'm Andrea Bacchus, your curator through biblical literature and its world and culture. Just as a museum curator selects, acquires, cares for, repairs objects, and discovers frauds and counterfeits, I'll be sifting through our world and culture for examples to help us better understand. The biblical text. On today's episode, I'd like to explain a distinction that is at work in the biblical text that is not obvious to the modern reader, and that is the difference between the senior and the junior. This difference is no longer functional in Western culture the way that it once was. We are preoccupied today with ideals of equality and sameness, and we're uncomfortable with hierarchy and authority, at least the way that it is discussed in the public square. We live in a world where a child is encouraged to call an adult by their first name. Students even refer to their teachers by their first names, and teachers encourage this. We don't want to give the impression that we are different or more knowledgeable or of more value in some area than someone else. Teachers and students, parents and children are pals and relate to each other as equals. If you've watched the new series Cobra Kai on Netflix, which is the sequel to the Karate Kid movie from the 80s, you'll see a good demonstration of this. A lot has changed since Daniel was under the instruction of Mr. Miyagi. In The Karate Kid, Mr. Miyagi takes Daniel on as a student. And as Daniel begins to train with Mr. Miyagi, he gets frustrated because he thinks that Mr. Miyagi is just using him for labor, painting the fence and waxing the cars. Daniel doesn't understand and he nearly quits and walks off pouting until Mr. Miyagi shows him that, in fact, Daniel has been learning and training all along. The chores and the repetition have built his muscle memory, priming him to take on more advanced training. Mr. Miyagi did not discuss his plan for training with Daniel. He did not ask Daniel's permission to use his particular methods, He just told Daniel to get to work, and Daniel obeyed. Now, in Cobra Kai, we see a different dynamic, a more modern one. Teacher and student as collaborators. We even see that the student, at times, demonstrates more wisdom and ability than the teacher. Daniel is now an adult and runs his own dojo. He has taken up the mantle of Mr. Miyagi. 
We watch as Daniel explains his training methods to his students, and frankly, he has trouble getting their buy-in. Collaboration is a cultural value today, and while these depictions of togetherness may warm us, and we may even laugh about kids being smarter than parents, from the biblical perspective, this is no laughing matter. From the biblical perspective, this is the death of wisdom. From the biblical perspective, this is anti-wisdom. In the Bible, the senior and the junior are not the same, and they are not equal. The senior is above the junior. The senior has authority over the junior, and this authority is wielded for the good of the junior. The authority of the senior is assumed, and at times, the junior wrestles with this authority. Nevertheless, the authority of the senior is assumed as a premise. As we will see in the Bible, the junior, like Daniel, doesn't like it and rebels against the senior. The senior's function is to teach the junior something, to pass on wisdom through instruction unto the good and well-being of the junior. The senior is not out to harm the junior. His motive is not himself. His interest is in imparting wisdom through instruction. In the Bible, the senior-junior dynamic is that of father and child in the Miyagi-Daniel way, not the Cobra Kai way. Karate Kid is biblical wisdom in a nutshell. Watch it again to see how this dynamic works. I recently heard an interview of Nikki Haley, former governor of South Carolina and former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. She was speaking about her upbringing as a child of parents from India, and she told a story about her mother. When Ambassador Haley was 13, her mother had a small business, and the accountant that had been working for her mother was quitting. And so they were discussing and trying to figure out who would replace her. And in that moment, Haley's mother grabbed her arm and said to the accountant, who was soon to be leaving, train her, she can do it. To which the accountant replied, but she's 13. And her mother's reply was, if you teach her, I know she will do it. And that was it. At age 13, Nikki Haley was doing payroll and paying the bills and doing the banking. She says that she went through her first audit at age 15. I'm sure she was intimidated, perhaps, but she did it. Now, good for Ambassador Haley, but she is the junior and thus not the subject of the story. It is her mother, the senior, who grabbed her, appointed her, without consulting her, who decided that she was to learn and serve as the accountant. End of story, and it was done. This is the biblical way. If you are a serious student of the Bible and you genuinely want to hear it the way that it was intended to be heard, you must put aside the modern Western preoccupation with collaboration and equality and sameness. Cast your mind back and immerse yourself in a time and culture which was communal, not individual, and where the senior, 
the elder, had authority over the junior, and the junior was to obey the senior. In the ancient Near East and Hellenistic and Roman eras, society was shaped by kings and empires. Kings ruled their cities with absolute power, and the people were their subjects. They were under the king's authority. Within that system, the tribe or clan was the basic unit of order. In the Roman era, the setting in which the New Testament texts were written, social life remained tribal, and within that system, you had the family. The head of the family was the father of the family, the pater familias, and he was the boss. Everyone else in the household, his wife, children, and slaves were his property and all under his authority. Their self-concept was communal, not individual. The individual lived within the confines of the community, and the notion of an individual in the house of the pater familias having a say or a right of his or her own, as we understand it today, was foreign in that world. Within the community, there were individuals who held a special place of honor and respect. They were the elders. The elder was the seat of wisdom. The elder is by definition the senior. The word senior comes from the Latin for old. It is from the Latin that we have the word senator. When you learn the Latin origin, you realize that the English term senior senator is redundant. Of course, when we say that, we mean the most senior of seniors, but it would sound strange to the Latin ear. It's the old man with the gray beard. This is a classic archetype, and we find it in all kinds of literature, even today. Today, we have Gandalf the Gray in Lord of the Rings and Dumbledore in the Harry Potter series. And we can't forget the bearded Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars, Episode 4. This connection between age and wisdom is made explicit in the Bible. We have it in the wisdom literature. We hear it in the book of Job. In chapter 6, verse 18, we hear, My son, from your youth embrace discipline. Thus will you find wisdom with graying hair. And from chapter 12, verse 12, Wisdom is with the aged, and understanding in length of days. And from the book of Sirach, also called Ecclesiasticus, not to be confused with Ecclesiastes, from chapter 25, verses 3 to 6, we have, You have gathered nothing in your youth. How then can you find anything in your old age? What an attractive thing is judgment in gray-haired men, and for the aged to possess good counsel. How attractive is wisdom in the aged, and understanding and counsel in honorable men. Rich experience is the crown of the aged, and their boast is the fear of the Lord. So what's going on with this? In those times, gray hair and wisdom was a day-to-day reality. This is how it was. Having survived to old age meant that you had acquired the skills and discernment to do so in a hostile world, 
a place of daily deadly risks and threats to one's livelihood. If you had gray hair, it meant that you had survived. You had lived long enough to have acquired wisdom, something of value to pass along to the young so that they might also survive. The elders doled out their wisdom at the city gates and among the council of the elders. Even though the individual elder had wisdom, it was the collective that counted, the council of the elders. Remember the communal focus. We have a parallel today in the example of our Senate. The Senate is comprised of individual senators, but it is the vote of the Senate, the collective, that counts. Just as a judge asks for the verdict of the jury, not the individual members of the jury. This direct connection between gray hair and wisdom, which would have been obvious to the ancients, is severed today. We just don't have this. It's not in the air, so to speak. It's not that there are no wise elders anymore. It's just that there are plenty of gray-haired 70-year-old teenagers. Just look around and you'll know what I'm talking about. We all know a person like this. Now that we have a sense of what the cultural environment was like, let's see how the distinction between the senior and the junior shows up in the Bible. As I began to go through the biblical text, I realized that the numbers of examples are simply overwhelming. The senior-junior distinction runs through the whole Bible. There is no part of it where this is not at work. With that in mind, let's take a look at some texts and how they express this distinction. First, as a preface, know that God as senior encompasses the entire biblical story. God in the Bible is the senior, and the others in the story are the junior. God assigns one of his juniors to represent him, be his mouthpiece, and when they speak God's instruction, they function as senior relative to the others in the story. This is the role of the prophets. Moses in Exodus is one example. But they still remain junior relative to God. We have this paradigm in ancient kingship. The king is senior to the people, but junior to the deity. Now let's turn to examples from the biblical text. Example number one, Genesis chapter one, verse one. Precedent is set from the first verse of the Bible. The God we meet in Genesis 1-1 is the senior par excellence. In verse one, we have the definition of the senior. He is the subject of the sentence. We have, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He, God, is the driver of the action, and the heavens and the earth are his creation. They are the predicate of the sentence, the something that is being acted on by the subject. The senior is the one who drives the action, says how things are going to go. The rest of the biblical story is his story, not history, but his story. Now, don't get caught up on gender here. I'm not making a statement about gender. The word God in Hebrew in verse 1 is grammatically masculine, and incidentally, 
It is plural here. It is Elohim. But we can talk about that at another time. Gender is not at issue. Gender is another modern preoccupation that we don't have in the Bible the way we speak about it today. The book of Genesis establishes that man is subordinate to God the way an infant is to a parent, totally dependent. In the story, God created Adam. Adam had no belly button. He had no human mother. He was directly God's creation, and he is told what to do by God, his creator. He is told the rules of the game. It is God who makes life possible for Adam. The sin of Adam and Eve is that they failed to realize that it was God who provided everything for them. But they wanted to do their own thing. And as the story continues, we will hear how wanting to do their own thing and choosing another option turns out for Adam's progeny. Example number two, the book of Deuteronomy. Even a quick reading over Deuteronomy, which is a long book, 34 chapters, will convince the reader that the people are the junior. It's a long speech. Deuteronomy means the second law. Right before the people enter the land, Moses is reciting the law to them one last time. Moses is the senior to their junior reciting what God has told him to say to the people just before they are permitted to enter the land. Moses is the mouthpiece of God. He's functioning as God to the people. He is the senior, and there is no arguing, debate, or vote about that. God issues his commands, gives his instruction through Moses, so that all the people will hear it. So that later on in the story, when we hear Judges, Samuel, and Kings, when things start to break down and the people disobey God's commands, you, as the hearer of that story, will side with God. You will agree that his judgment is just, because he told them repeatedly the rules of the game. The senior sets the terms, and the junior is expected to follow. Example number three, Jeremiah chapter 11. We hear about God's covenant with Israel in several places, but it is particularly powerfully expressed in the book of Jeremiah. God's covenant with Israel is not a deal or a negotiation between equals. It's senior telling the junior the way it's going to go, a la Nikki Haley's mother. The senior doesn't expect to trust the junior. The senior doesn't need anything from the junior. Elder wisdom is selfless. He gives wisdom as a duty. His wisdom, his instruction, is his expression of love for the junior. Let's hear Jeremiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 8, which make clear that God's covenant is not an alliance or an agreement between equals. It is a decree that holds within it the expectation that it is to be obeyed. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Hear the words of this covenant and speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, 
Cursed be the man who does not heed the words of this covenant, which I commanded your fathers when I brought them out of the earth of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, Listen to my voice and do all that I command you. So shall you be my people, and I will be your God, that I may perform the oath which I swore to your fathers, to give them an earth flowing with milk and honey, as at this day. Hear the words of this covenant and do them. For I solemnly warned your fathers when I brought them up out of the earth of Egypt, warning them persistently, even to this day, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear. But every one walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore I brought upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did not. Example number four. Let's look at it from the junior's perspective. How does the junior love the senior? Junior to senior love is not the same as junior to junior. Junior to junior are equals, but the junior is subordinate to the senior. How then does the junior love the senior in the Bible? In the Bible, the love of God is expressed as the fear of God. To love God is to fear God because he's the senior, and to fear God means to obey his command. The junior then loves the senior by obeying his command, and the junior is expected to trust the senior. In the scene leading up to Genesis chapter 22 verse 12, Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac, his only son, because God told him to. And just as he's about to carry out the act, an angel of the Lord stops him and appears to him. And in verse 12, we hear the angel say to Abraham, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. We also hear this connection between the fear of God and obeying God clearly in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 24. So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always and for our survival as it is today. We find examples in the Psalms. In Psalm 112, verse 1, we hear, Praise the Lord! How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. In Psalm 128, verse 1, we hear, How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. To walk in his way means to obey his command. The language of walking is from Deuteronomy. I could go on with examples from the biblical text, but I'll stop here. We hear about the fear of the Lord a lot in the Bible. It's a hallmark of biblical wisdom. Wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It's strange to speak about the fear of the Lord today. It seems like an anachronism in an era of equality. And frankly, we don't like it. Who wants to fear anything? For that matter, who wants to obey? And yet, this is what we are faced with when we hear the biblical text. As the junior, 
as the hearer of this text. We don't have to like it, but we have to obey it just the same. Until next time, this is Vexed. Vexed is a production of the Ephesus School Network.